Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, we chat with Sam Crabtree about his book, Practicing Affirmation. And joining me for this interview with Sam is IBCD Executive Director Jim Neuheiser. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Sam Crabtree is pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he has served for over 20 years. He is a former public school teacher and is chairman of the board of Bethlehem College and Seminary. Sam and his wife, Vicki, have two daughters and six grandchildren. Hey there, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome back to the show. It's my privilege. I am super excited because today we're doing something a little bit unique. We haven't done this on the show before, but we actually have IBCD Executive Director Jim Neuheiser joining us for this conversation. Jim, welcome to the show as well. Thanks. I just wanted to be here as the uh, vice chairman of the Sam Crabtree uh, fan club. Yes. <laughs> Careful now. I'm going to see if I can be more affirming than Sam. Oh, wow. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Well, yeah. Romans does say we should outdo one another in showing honor. So I just should say to Christine, I'm just about to accept Jim as my personal savior. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this conversation is getting off to a fabulous start and I'm, I'm super excited the fireworks are already going uh well sam before we get started in our conversation i would like to invite you to take a few minutes to share why you wanted to write this book yeah good question for years i had been teaching a pre-marriage class and in other settings as well talking to people about relationships having seen relationships everywhere being unintentionally torpedoed by a failure to recognize what I call the universal non-optional dynamics that are always in play, having to do with affirming one another. In my decades of experience as a pastor, I have yet to meet a, a couple that eventually divorced where they kept up affirmations. What happened in their relationship is that the affirming went away. Or I've seen it in so many families where teenagers withdrew, something sociologists call blackout, and they just don't talk to their parents anymore. And invariably, there was an absence of affirmation coming from the parents towards those kids. And I'm not talking about affirming any old thing or affirming bad habits. I'm, or I'm not saying that. I am saying we should commend the commendable. Maybe we can clarify that as we go along. But I had seen so much unnecessary shipwreck in relationships added to which people, including Christians, especially Christians, failing to give God honor and thanks he deserves for what he's doing in people's lives. If, if I see that God is developing something in my grandchild, let's say they're sharing their toys well, and I don't point out, you are, you're becoming so generous, and God in Christ is the most generous being that there is. And when you develop generosity, God is at work in you to help you become like him. If I fail to do that, then God doesn't get the glory he deserves for doing it. And he is the one doing it. It's like, I'm looking out my window right now at the clouds that are coming over Minneapolis and it's a beautiful sky out there. And the heavens are declaring the glory of God, the Bible says. But if I don't look out the window and say, wow, God, you did that. He doesn't get the same glory from me 
that he would if I said, you did that. I know the one who put that sky out there. That's fantastic. So I, I was motivated to write the book to help people give God honor and to give each other affirmation and to lubricate relationships that had, that had gone dry, gone rusty and, and sticky and, and squeaky. So, uh, and not, I'll, I'll add one more thing. In the Proverbs, uh, it says rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And if you ask yourself, and I've asked many groups, including some teenagers just this week, how long does it take a sword to do its damage? Well, it's just a split second, just and someone is cut. Well, then the question is, how long does that take to heal? Well, it takes a long time to heal, and it might leave a mark, a permanent mark. It might leave a disability. It might leave a loss, an amputation that's never recovered. And the writer of the Proverbs is saying, words can be like that, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so with our mere tongues, I mean, you don't have to have a degree, you don't have to have a certificate, you don't, there's not a lot of training, you don't have to have a lot of money, just use your tongue and it can help relationships and bring honor to God. So I felt like people needed some help with that because it seemed <laughs> a short book on the subject might equip people well. Well, I think you've done just that with this book. I know of many people I've come across in ministry, even pastors who continue to recommend this book as a practical tool for helping to restore relationships, whether it's marriages or like you mentioned with, with our children or even grandchildren, just helping to honor God with our words, which I think is something that all of us could at one time or another admit, uh, we definitely need the Spirit's help in sanctifying what comes out of our mouth. And that, that's especially true for me, I can say. Before we continue on, would you help us gain a biblical perspective on the practice of affirming and praising others? Because I know that there's definitely a, a difference between what the secular view or the world's view of affirming others and giving them praise, and then taking a spin on, well, what is the biblical approach to that? There's a quote that was especially enlightening to me that I read in the book that says, bringing God into compliments is the best way to give them. So can you explain why that's true? Yeah, maybe I should start uh, in responding to your question by, by saying what I'm not talking about. When I talk about practicing affirmation and affirming others, this is not about self-esteem. I would say that our culture is experiencing a plague of self-esteem. The jails are full of people who esteem only themselves. It's all about me, 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 me. Our hospital nurseries, same thing. When babies are born, and you, you look through the window in the nursery there and there's a baby crying, he's not crying because his little neighbor in the adjoining bassinet is wet or hungry. It's all about himself, me, me, me. I'm not trying to affirm self-esteem, but I'm trying to get people to observe God esteem and the work that God is doing in people. So we make our boast in God alone and people who, who believe that might see a, a book with a title about practicing affirmation and blessing others and their antenna might go up and they might say, whoa, 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 whoa. Is there some humanistic idolatry or something going on here? Well, no. God is the one who deserves honor because he's at work all the time, everywhere, in everyone, believer and unbeliever, old and young, male and female, and he deserves the honor for doing what he's doing. And so God-centered affirmation uh, points to what is most affirmation worthy. 
I call it commending the most commendable. And it avoids putting misplaced praise on things that are shallow or temporal or passing. So for example, if my young granddaughter shows up wearing a lovely Easter dress, I could say, well, what a lovely dress. And that would be true. There wouldn't be anything wrong per se about commending the loveliness of the dress, but that's temporal. I mean, a day's gonna come when that dress will end up in the rag bag. So uh, instead I can say, someone must love you for taking care of you by giving you such a lovely dress like that. Now that points away from the dress alone and letting the affirmation terminate there or in her, isn't she a doll, but that there's someone who loves her, namely God, who gave her parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles or whomever, gave her that dress. And that way, God, who deserves honor, gets it. It's God who makes the sun to rise on the good and on the evil and, uh, and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. He's at work everywhere, all the time. So bringing God is the best way to give compliments because God is behind everything good that's going on. I think what Sam hit upon there is really important that I remember the friend who handed me the book, Practicing Affirmation, and I remember kind of as a reform guy who believes in total depravity and a biblical counselor who thinks that self-esteem is a plague like Sam was describing. I remember being very skeptical that I at least liked my friend well enough or trusted him well enough. I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at this. And I became so, well, I guess, first of all, impressed how Sam emphasizes that by properly affirming, you're giving glory to God for his great work on other people. And you're robbing a God of glory when you don't do that. And then second of all, he really proved that it's biblical to do so. Because I've, I've got to admit, yeah, that the things I think of in the Bible are usually, let's rebuke the Corinthians or something, but it's thoroughly biblical to recognize the great work of God in others. And that was really life-changing for me in terms of my marriage, my kids, although it came a bit late for them to get the full benefit, uh, and the counseling I do in pastoral ministry. So I'm very thankful. Yeah, Jim, I'm glad you mentioned about the counseling. I was just remembering how practicing affirmation is especially applicable to counseling situations. I know personally, when you were my counselor, I remember that you would be very mindful to affirm the work that the Lord was doing in the sessions. And it was extremely encouraging because I think when we're looking from our own perspective, it's very difficult to see how, you know, the fruits may be slowly budding or, or we're slowly changing in various degrees. And so would you have any additional comments into specifically practicing affirmation in the biblical counseling context? Well, let me just insert here, Jim, that, that I appreciate you brought up the Corinthians because weren't they a mess? I mean, right. the Corinthian church, there's a guy living with his mother, by which I don't mean he's renting the basement. I mean, he's got bedroom privileges. And they're misusing gifts, and they don't understand love. And so, But Paul doesn't start there. He starts by giving thanks to God always. He uses the word always. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that is given you in Christ Jesus. And so he, he starts commending. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't eventually get to the, <laughs> to the bad news and the correction, but he doesn't start there. Yeah. And uh, I, people who come in for counseling, especially not just friends hanging out, but people often coming to someone they hardly know or a pastor they've not got to know well, unloading their problems they often are very hopeless, they're very discouraged, 
And so I think to acknowledge the good work of God, and sometimes just I'm so thankful to God that you're seeking his help in the mess you're in. And Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, just, but, and you know, just kind of like, I don't know if you use this analogy, Sam, but think about it. you see people sometimes on the beach with these metal detectors trying to find a coin or pirate's treasure or something. But I feel like I want to become an affirmation detector, especially in counseling, actually, is oh, what can I good. honestly and sincerely commend in these people? Because obviously they wouldn't be here if things are going great. But can we help them to see the good things that God is even doing in their own lives and restraining sin, giving endurance? Uh, sometimes couples that stay together, I just marvel that is, you know, I don't know if I could have stayed through as much as you've been through. And I'm thankful that God has given you endurance. Of course, I yeah, want us to get a lot right. better, but to, to commend what is commendable. That's right. That's right. It doesn't have to be perfect. We can commend things that are incrementally moving in a good direction. Yes, sir. I want to take this conversation really to the heart before we go on and explore different applications of practicing affirmation in our relationships. Because I think for me personally, we could take this conversation and say, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. And, you know, I'm going to guard my tongue. But I think it boils down even to a more fundamental heart issue. I like we need to address what's going on in our heart before we are actually mindful of affirming the work that God is doing in other people's lives. And Matthew 15, 18 even affirms, um, Jesus says that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So Sam, why do you suppose that our hearts are more prone to complaining than having a reflex of commending others? Well, it's a good question. Uh, I think it's a wise question, and I don't have a prepared answer, but I'll take a stab at it. I think that in the image of God, we human beings are creative. He's a creator, and in his image, we, we create stuff. And creative people can see how something could be better. I mean, maybe there, there have been times for you, there have been for me, when I've listened to a sermon and I've thought of ways it could have been improved. Or you look at someone's marriage and you think of ways they could be doing it better. Or you look at some governmental actions and think, now, if I were the emperor, I would do it differently. And so creative people can see how something could be better. And, and if you've been born from above, if you have a new life in you, you can be even more creative and see more ways that things can be better. Well, then you look around and you see that they're not as good as they could be. You can start to compare your mental ideal with what you're facing, you know, you, you can look at the airbrushed photographs of a potential spouse and compare them to your spouse with wrinkles, age spots, and whatever. And the comparison doesn't do well. It doesn't hold up well. And furthermore, we have fallible, limited human understanding. So we fail to see often how God is using precisely the circumstances we're in currently to bring about our sanctification and eventually to maximize our joy with uh, pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And so we can be like the Israelites in the desert. We're grumbling, we're murmuring, because we can remember the meat pots back, back in Egypt and not aware that there's a promised land yet ahead and that God is about to do a good thing. When, when the chariots came rolling with Pharaoh and his army and they're up against the Red Sea, one of the commands was just stand still, just stand here and see the salvation of God. And seeing, seeing is part of the problem. We can see how something could be better. And then we look and we see how things really are. We make the comparison and we don't like them. 
And so that, I think that can be where a lot of complaining comes from. I know Jim's probably a better analyst of this than I am. I'm just thinking of Ephesians 4, 31, and maybe Jim, you can go into that just in terms of putting off and putting on, you know, because I feel like it's really hard to have a heart that commends the work of God and other people if our heart is also bitter and complaining at the same time, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said in Ephesians 4, 31, is that when we have high expectations of people and you know, I, I saw myself as I read Sam's book. I was a management by exception guy. If it's right, I don't say anything. That's the way it's supposed to be. And if it's wrong, I fix it. Yeah. Uh, often yeah. not with bitterness, yeah. but just that's my job is to make things perfect. And so I'll fix what's wrong. Your tribe is legion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think just becoming a person of grace and, you know, I can think you know, even one sense to temper our expectations of others, realizing our own sinfulness and weakness, and again, being thankful and excited for the good rather than shocked at that which is lacking. Sam, in the book, you list four characteristics of good affirmations. Will you share them with us and explain why they are important? Yeah, well, um, I, I think they're important because if you don't put the right emphasis, the right emphasis on the right syllable, things will, will not be as fruitful for you as they could be. And, and don't we all want to be more fruitful and not less fruitful? The four things, one is I think affirmation is best when it's detached from or separated from correction. That is, if you want to commend somebody, but you also want to criticize them or vice versa, you see a criticism and you think, well, maybe I should, maybe I should say something good about them before I criticize them. The marriage of those two things are such that one will contaminate the other. And so I think it's better if affirmations just happen as standalones. We just go about doing good. We let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up, which is from that same Ephesians 4 that you were referring to a bit ago, which, which by the way is preceded a number of verses earlier by having a new self put on, created after the likeness of God. So that's right down in the center of all this, it, which is why I think practicing affirmation, which can seem so simple, just get out there and do it, isn't something that unbelievers will want to do from the depths of their heart for very long. You have to be transformed to want to do it, to want to honor other people, to want to see God honored for what he's doing in other people. I think affirmation should be separated from correction. I I knew of a businessman who used what he called the sandwich method, where he would, if he needed to correct one of his employees about something, he would first tell them something good about their performance, and then he would lower the boom on what needed to change, and then he'd follow up with another compliment. Well, that was his pattern, and his employees began to notice the pattern so that when he started to affirm something, they would inside be putting up their defensive walls and beginning to cringe because they knew what was coming because the only time he affirmed was when he was going to correct and his sandwich method they began to call the baloney sandwich because they didn't they didn't believe him they thought the affirmations were just a ticket for lowering the boom and they were bracing themselves for the pain that was coming and then afterwards when he gave the follow-up affirmation they were licking their wounds and making excuses for why you know they weren't able to perform as well as they were because he didn't pay them very well or didn't give enough time or the deadline was too short or whatever the problem was. So I, I recommend that affirmations just stand alone. We just be people who go about telling people 
the good stuff we see God doing in their lives. The second feature is that they should be steady. This is kind of like nutrition. I just think you should be eating well all the time. <clears throat> and so in your household, in your office, in your church, in, on your team, I just think we should be full of good job, way to go, well done. I like that. We should be affirming each other all the time. It's just nourishing for relationships between people, and it's nourishing for the individual person who's being affirmed, and God gets honor if it's God-centered affirmation. The third feature is that I believe affirmations must be honest. Proverbs 21 says, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. If you say to your spouse, you say to your husband, I just think you're the smartest man in the whole world. If you don't really think that, he's going to smell a rat and he's going to wonder, what are you up to? You're trying to jerk my chain here. I'm being manipulated or, or trapped or something here. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I think if you think he's the smartest man in the world, you should tell him. But if it's, if it's false, that'll backfire. Exaggerations backfire and eventually. And so I just think we should be as honest as we can be and just affirm that which is affirmable, commend that which is commendable and don't make up things that are fake or inflate them beyond the measure of their value. The fourth thing that I think you're referring to is God-centered and God-centered affirmations avoid us becoming shallow, as I mentioned with my granddaughter's Easter dress. Nothing wrong with a pretty Easter dress, I'm all in favor. But if that's all we commend is nice dresses and toenail polish or whatever, we're going to become pretty shallow and we're going to encourage the people around us to pursue values that are shallow versus true lasting value. I, I'm in, in my devotions these days. I'm going through the Proverbs, <clears throat> excuse me, and, I, and I've gotten to the final chapter, the Proverbs 31 woman. And she, a woman who fears the Lord, is to be praised. That's what we're supposed to do with a woman who fears the Lord. She's to be commended for fear, for fearing the Lord, and for a whole bunch of other stuff that comes ahead of that. There's a whole raft of character qualities that she demonstrates. And uh, in fact, I, I'm gonna be spending some time in my journal trying to map out a lot of the character qualities that she manifests there. But that's, that's God-centered. All of it is summed up at the end of the chapter by saying she fears God. That's where all this stuff comes from. All these character qualities come from the fact that she fears God and she is to be praised for that. So I think those four things, detached from correction, they should be steady, not intermittent. They should be honest, not inflated or fake. And they should be God-centered because that's where every good thing comes from. Sam, you already kind of touched on the next question. Is um, What is the difference between affirmation and flattery? Do you feel like you have some more to expand on that particular comparison? A text that comes to my mind is from Proverbs 29. It says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So I think one of the distinctions between God-centered affirmation and flattery is the motive of the one who's making the observation. So you can commend someone and tell them they've done a good job and you don't expect anything in return from them. Whoever gives a cup of cold water to a little one, he will not lose his reward the reward you get isn't from the little one. You're not expecting any, anything from the little one. You just give them the cup of cold water. And I think affirmation, good affirmation, God-centered affirmation is like that. You just tell people you see the good things that God is doing in them and you, and you walk away. You're not expecting any, oh, thank you, or any, oh, here's some tickets to the ball game. Or I, you know, I, I think, I, I told a bunch of teenage gals this 
this week, I was speaking to them Tuesday evening. I said, beware, because there are young men who would be happy to tell you things you want to believe about yourself, nice things that might even be true, but they're telling you these things because they want something in return from you. That's flattery. Flattery wants to extract a price, and God-centered affirmation just gives it as a gift freely. Jim, do you have any thoughts to add to the last sure. couple questions that Sam shared? Yeah, I'll go back to his talking about the bologna sandwich. And you talked about the employer who, you know, and they're actually management books that say, well, when you're about to correct somebody, you try to find something positive. And that's not entirely worthless. But, you know, obviously, I think some of it gets to what's your motive for this conversation? Is your motive really, I mean, the real thing I want to do is correct you or criticize you, but somebody told me to say something nice first. You know, what's in your heart in terms of what you are, what, what is this about? And I think but actually with both correction and affirmation, if in your heart you're seeking to honor God and you're seeking to build others up, I think you could even build up through correction, but you're doing it not selfishly or to vent, but to, to love. And I did like the bologna sandwich illustration because where I found that more than an employment situation would be just with our kids, where again, you're, you could be tempted to say something nice, but then the kid can figure that he can smell it a mile away. Where in terms of, no, the real reason you asked me out to lunch was not to tell me you're glad that I'm doing well in math and you're mm -hmm. glad that I'm doing this. You really asked me out to lunch to tell me yep. that you're not going to pay for college if I don't improve my English grade. <laughs> yep. And so that's good. What, what's your agenda here? But I think if your agenda is, I love this person. And I think the heart is more than just the technique that I, I love the idea of building others up. And I love to see the smile on their face when they recognize the good work God is doing. But I think you can also, when you really love somebody, you can also bring the correction. But it's not, I want you to become better because you're so annoying to me the way you are. Sam, you write in the book, quote, a steady diet of affirmations in a relationship is like watering and hoeing in a garden. It's refreshing and keeps the weeds down. Why is practicing affirmation a vital ingredient to nourishing our personal relationships? I think I also mentioned it's like keeping your refrigerator plugged in. If you don't keep your refrigerator plugged in, which would be the affirmations, everything in there is going to rot and mm. stink. And I think that's what happens in relationships where affirmation evaporates, dries up, and blows away. I, it, it, the relationship becomes distant, might become awkward might become contrarian. If you could picture like a stream, a, a, a slow flowing stream, the natural current of all relationships tends downstream. And what's downstream is indifference or apathy, maybe even alienation, maybe even callousness towards each other. But that's where all relationships are going. And to keep your relationship from drifting there, you have to put in energy. If, if all you do is nothing, you will drift in your relationship. You don't have to become crabby for the relationship to go downstream, which is, you know, referring to the marriages that have come apart. It's not that they woke up one morning and they went from the honeymoon into clobbering each other. They just stopped doing good things to inject positive affirmation into their relationship. Well, affirmation, we could say it puts gas in your boat motor or put winds in your sails or something to go upstream towards fresh water. And that's why, I mean, I compare it to watering a garden and hoeing in a garden. If you, 
if you don't hoe your garden, you don't have to plant weeds, they'll just come on their own. And so you have to be proactive about watching for them and mitigating against them. And affirmation is just such a, it's not hard work like hoeing, it's more pleasant. It's, it's a pleasure to commend what's commendable. I know Jim often refers to the analogy of marriage relationships, or really any relationships, but I think specifically marriage relationships, liking it to a garden and having to tend to the, pull the weeds and hoeing and all the watering, everything that you're talking about, Sam. Jim, do you have some extra comments about how we can be pursuing the practice of affirmation in terms of trying to nourish our relationships? Uh, it's often an assignment I give in marriage counseling. Even sometimes I'll ask when people come for counseling, you know, they're very quick to criticize the other and to defend themselves. Yeah. Isn't that true? Could you please tell me what are five things you really admire about your spouse? And I'll give you a minute to think about it if you need that. And you know, But you know, let's start there. And sometimes I've actually seen the temperature in the room change. Mm-hmm. And one of them will actually acknowledge, mm-hmm. yeah, that even I've seen the wife say, I never thought you, I never knew you thought I was a great mother or I never knew you appreciated I keep the house and uh, so I think is an ass- well often given assignment is that, you know sometimes homework is for a week like every day affirm two things about your spouse and I've actually jokingly said okay this is one you're to do until one of you dies every day two yeah um, yeah and um, I, it is I think it's a huge part of the counseling and in your analogy see we talk about conflict being like the weeds which need to be pulled through biblical peacemaking, but affirmation is part of the flowers you plant, uh, which also, if you have enough good stuff growing in your soil, the weeds don't grow so well. Yep, and water and fertilizer and sunlight. I think the laws of thermodynamics by which the physical material universe is winding down, everything is, you know, suns and stars are burning out and everything rusts out and springs are winding down and all that stuff. I think that the, the laws of thermodynamics apply to relationships. They just wear out unless fresh energy is injected into them. And affirmation is a way to do that. One of my favorite marriage counseling passages actually relates to what Sam was describing, which is in Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. I won't read the whole thing, but it describes how I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. Behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone was broken down. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. I've actually used that at the beginning of a counseling session. It's the second law of thermodynamics that Sam was talking about, is that most marriages started out as nice fields with nice flowers or corn or strawberries growing in them. And it's just the gradual deterioration of the failure to maintain the relationship that their marriage becomes like the sluggard's field. You know, there's so much more than just the lack of affirmation, but it is the deterioration. And a lot of times what's desperately needed is just like if you have a garden that hasn't been weeded in years, it's the weeds take over. It's a lot of work to get it out, but it's a great blessing once you do it. Sam, I wondered if you might share how can believers utilize God-centered affirmations as a means of evangelism? It's probably more pre-evangelism than evangelism per se in terms of spelling out the gospel, though I think there are are ways a person could affirm the goodness of God in the good news, and that would be the gospel 
uh, announcement or heralding all by itself. I think God-centered affirmations as a means of evangelism can gain a hearing for the gospel. I believe that people tend to be influenced by those who praise them. I think it's universal and, and virtually non-optional. It, it works in marriages, works in parenting. It, it, it works with your dog. I mean, if you say, you know, good boy, Rover. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's more likely to be your faithful, loyal companion than if you're indifferent toward him. And it, I think it even, it relates to our relationship with God. God inhabits the praises of his people. He hears the prayers and the cries of those who worship him and commend him, point out his commendable attributes and deeds. And so anyway, you're speaking to this unbeliever and you, you can find things to commend in them that they're, they're being attentive to what you're saying, or maybe you find them a reasonable person generally. It's God himself says, come, let us reason together. So to commend people that they're thoughtful, that they, they seem to be the kinds of people who want to sort their priorities and not waste their lives. That's a commendable thing. And you can commend those things and then say, well, how do you think a person should supremely value the supremely valuable? What would that look like? And in my conversations with people, when I ask them, what do you supremely value? What do you think is supremely valuable? Often, almost always, as they ponder that, they come right back with the question to me, well, what do you think is supremely valuable? And the door's wide open mm. to talk about the incomparable preeminence of Jesus, our elder brother, who loves us and gave himself for us. I have a little lump in my throat here right now because it is so beautiful and the door's wide open when you talk about what is supremely valuable. So that's one way to, I think, gain a hearing for the gospel. I'd like for us to spend a few minutes talking about the difficulty, I think, of practicing affirmation in relationships, especially when there's a lot of uh, friction or perhaps we're not really feeling like we want to affirm what's going on in the, the person's life. So how do we go about commending someone whose behaviors, words, or actions really don't seem all that commendable? Yeah, maybe I could tell a quick story about when I taught in the public schools. I had an agreement with the administration. I taught sixth grade for seven years, and I had an agreement with the administration that I would take in my school that had more than one sixth grade class, I would take all the boys who had no dads. So I took fatherless boys, and I knew there would be extra work in it, but I took them not because I thought I was some magic cure or anything, but because I was the only male teacher of sixth grade and, and in that elementary school. And so I thought that at least I could be a better male for these boys than all the female teachers. And so one year I had a student named Wayne, I call him Wayne, and he was a sociopath. I mean, he hated school. He said that from the day he walked in, he hated people. He would carve the furniture right on the furniture. If you sat in front of him, he might write on you. He might cut your hair, he might cut your clothing. He threw things at people. He, he never played with anyone on the playground because nobody wanted to play with him. He just was trouble all the live long day. And so I always had to keep one eye on him in the classroom. And in many instances had to remove his desk from close proximity to all the others. He just was a problem. And so one day I had given an assignment and he was not doing the assignment, but neither was he causing any trouble. 
And I said to myself, well, he's not killing anybody. I'll accept that. That's good. So I was making my way through the classroom and, and uh, helping students who raised their hand and they needed help with one of, one of the problems or something. And I made my way over to him and he, he had his chin in his hand, in the palm of his hand, uh, leaning on his elbow and just looking out the window. He was daydreaming. And I, I thought, I'll take it. So I made my way up behind him. I put my hand on his shoulder and his head immediately jerked up. And he had this look on his face like, what did I do now? Which was almost always a legitimate look on his face because he almost always was doing something that was a problem. But I, I just patted him on the shoulder and I said, I can tell that you're deep in thought. And I like that about a guy. I like a guy who's a thinker. And I just patted him on the shoulder. And before I walked off, he had this look on his face that said to me, so that's what a compliment feels like. It's as though he'd never had a compliment in his life. He'd never been affirmed for anything in his life. Now, he still wasn't doing his assignment. He still wasn't doing what he should do in the class, but he was looking out the window thinking. So I was glad for that. Now, as I resumed my working through the classroom, I always kept one eye on him. And as I would slowly turn to look in his direction, and he was watching me, he would quickly jerk and he would put his chin in his hand again and he looked like he was looking out the window daydreaming again because he knew that pleased me. And I thought, okay, I have an entrance to this boy. I have an opportunity, an opening here just by affirming the fact that he's a thinker. So, and he was, he was a sociopath. I mean, he was a trouble. Uh, one little follow-up story. That Christmas, when I dismissed all the students for the Christmas break, he came up to my desk and he handed me a homemade Christmas card. Now you have to understand, he doesn't make homemade Christmas cards. He hates Christmas. He hates teachers. But he handed me a homemade Christmas card. I, I said, well, thank you. Do you want me to open this and read it? Yep. And he stood there right there while I read this very amateurish Christmas card. I don't remember exactly what it said. But just the fact that he made it and gave it to me, I thought, okay, I'm gaining influence in this young man's life. He still said, with a little smile on his face, he said, I still hate Christmas. And then he walked out for the, for the Christmas <laughs> holiday. But, okay, so here's my answer to your question about what do you do when someone is, they're just a, they're a virtually a, a nonstop headache. Well, ask God to enable you to look, 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 search. God is bestowing grace on everyone. Can I find it? Can I spot it? What did, what did you say, Jim, earlier about the guy on the beach? What did you call the, the gizmo? Well, like a metal detector, but become an affirmation detector. Affirmation, yeah. Just become an affirmation. Yeah. yeah. Become an affirmation detector. Go, go on a hunt. Get out your, your, uh, your spiritual eyeballs and go looking. So that's what I would say. I think it's a great story. And again, where it's convicted me the most is in relationship, especially to my kids. And, that, you know, in the book, he talks about how we're so often getting down on our kids and criticizing our kids and, you know, to, to really work at detecting the good, even in common grace that God is doing for the kids. And one, our kids, and one thing that helped me tremendously, too, is that if, if your kids aren't believers, you can still acknowledge the common grace of, of human kindness, of the restraint of sin. An unbelieving child could be honest, hardworking, kind to his mother, and that you can in your heart give glory to God while you commend those qualities in him, just like 
the guy looking out the window obviously wasn't consciously glorifying God, but his sin was relatively restrained. So they, maybe for me, thinking of it theologically, that it is still the goodness of God that restrains sin and brings common grace good out of others, and then I can praise God by affirming that person, and I do think it's powerful for good. I remember sitting in a pastoral staff meeting years ago where a group of us were pondering a, an email that had come from one of our participants in the church, and, and she was bad news all the time. She was always complaining and, and uh, griping about things, and, and one of the pastors said, well, she does a good job at pointing out ways in which we could become a better church. Now, I just thought that was a positive way of, of putting the, the conveyor belt of problems and criticisms that always came from her in a positive light that, well, whether she intends to or not, she is God's vehicle that's helping us improve this church. So let's embrace it and affirm it as far as we can. How does practicing affirmation affect a believer's spiritual growth and maturity? You know, as we're talking about this topic, and we may be listening to both of you share biblical wisdom on the matter, and we might think, yeah, this sounds really good, but I don't have time, or things always come up, or one excuse or another. Is this practice an optional Christian discipline, or is it something that is part of our spiritual growth and maturity? Well, I, I would argue that it's optional in one sense and not optional in another sense. It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's optional whether you want to jump out of the third story window or not. That's optional. What's going to happen if you jump out the window is not optional. So you can decide whether you want to affirm your kids and your spouse and your coworkers and your boss and, and your underlings and whatever. You can, you can say, oh, I'm not very good at it or I'm too busy or whatever. You can. It's optional in that sense. But the consequences that'll flow from the patterns of your life are not optional. You're going to reap what you sow. So in that sense, I think it's universal, and the dynamics are in play all the time. I would add that, that for the believer who wants to become spiritually mature, that is, grow in Christ-likeness and grow in obedience, I think that a good and healthy and robust practicing of affirmation helps a person fulfill the two greatest laws. The greatest law is to love God. And when we do God-centered affirmation, we're praising God and loving God and affirming his work. And when we affirm people in God-centered ways, we're loving them. And what believer would not want to grow in his practice of the two greatest laws, which really sum up all the laws? That makes a lot of sense, Sam. Thank you for your reflection on that. Jim, do you have anything to add? The fact that it is biblical, and, and Sam really gave a theological argument, just acknowledging what God is doing in others and also loving them. But, you know, in the Bible, you have so many explicit examples of commendation. Uh, you know, in Proverbs 31, the husband rises up and blesses his wife and is thankful for her, and the children should be doing the same. Sam mentioned how Paul, even the Corinthians, he found things to affirm Jesus in the Revelation letters. So I think as you look through, and even where the Bible commends people we know are imperfect. Perhaps Hebrews 11 is the most amazing chapter where, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the great faith of all these guys like Sam says, like, you know, I've read the Old oh, Testament. man. Jephthah. <laughs> right. So God found and, and even highlights commendable things that these people did. And when you actually, when you realize how depraved we are, then I've given the analogy that even a, you know, a blade of grass on the moon would be a miracle. And, you know, for, for those of us who are accustomed to doing evil, to do good, it is a great work of God to bring good out of sinful people. And he 
ought to be acknowledged, and then it's encouraging to the sinful people to know that. So it is thoroughly biblical. All right. Well, we have time for one more question. So Sam, I'm going to invite you to do something I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who feels motivated to practice affirmation in their relationships after listening to this conversation. What would you say to this listener to encourage them to honor God by praising the commendable attributes of others? First of all, I I just would want to congratulate them for having a desire to want to go in this direction which and that desire itself is evidence of God at work in them and so he's to be praised for that mere desire and and thank you by the way Christine for having a program like this that emphasizes this kind of a thing I would say take a fresh run I'd say this to everyone take a fresh run at the golden rule namely would you like to be honored or recognized for whatever you're doing that's commendable, even if it flops? I mean, if you try to do a good thing and it doesn't fail, don't you even want to be commended for, well, that was a good try, good effort, way to go. I, I think there's even something defective in a person who doesn't want to be commended by God himself, which can sound like idolatry. But what I mean is every one of us should want, should desire someday to hear from God, well done good and faithful. Well done. So I, if we want to receive that, golden rule teaches us, well then, give it out. You're going to reap what you sow. Do unto others what you would like to have done unto you. It just it brings your heart into consistent alignment so that you're not hypocritical about things. And uh, the Spirit of God is available to help us do better in this. So lean into him and ask for his help. Thank you so much for those words of encouragement, Sam. I want to let the listener know that if you are interested in exploring more about this topic, if you'd like to check out Sam's book, Practicing Affirmation, go ahead and scroll down to the show notes of this episode. Click the link that is there, and that will take you to a page where you can access all of that information. Well, I have been really encouraged by this conversation today. Sam, thank you for agreeing to appear for a second time on the show. And then Jim, thank you for for joining the conversation yeah. and sharing your yeah. biblical insights. I just am super thankful for both of you guys and uh, thankful to the Lord for his work through you and how I'm it has affected both of you guys. Yeah, so thanks so much for joining us today. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.